Scripture for today says, And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Thanks, Dina. How many of you guys uh, like to hike? Go on hikes? No. Oh. Not me. <laughs> Especially those uphill hikes. A number of years ago, my family and I went to camping uh, in the Sierra Mountains. And on one of the days, we took a really long hike uh, up the mountain. It was uh, grueling. I thought, I thought about turning around several times. I think the only thing that kept me going was my wife wasn't turning around. I'm not going <laughs> to let my wife outdo me. So I kept putting one foot in front of the, the other. And, and when I finally reached the top, I mean, it wasn't the top of the mountain. It was the end of our hike. Uh, even though my muscles were aching, I was exhilarated, Right? Yes, because I made it, but also because I knew the hard part was over. The return trip would be uh, downhill. And that's kind of how I felt last week after our message in Romans. I felt like we had reached uh, the peak of Romans 9-11, through difficult uphill passages, and now we're sort of on the downhill slope, heading into the green valleys of of Romans chapter 12, but we're not quite there yet. Paul has one more theme to get across here at the end of chapter 11. So far, in Romans chapter, beginning in Romans chapter 9 through 11, uh, the theme has been, I would say, I would ask you guys, hey, what has the theme been? But then if you don't say what I have, then I'm embarrassed because I didn't teach it right. Israel, the theme so far has been Israel's present lack of salvation. Israel's present lack of salvation. That's kind of what Paul has been talking about. Not that they've been rejected by God. Yes, there's a remnant, a small minority in Israel chosen by God's grace. They're saved. However, the vast majority are not being saved. So Paul's been addressing the question of why is that? Why are God's chosen people, Israel, uh, the people of the Old Testament, you know, 
six, uh, there's, there's a lot written about them. God did a lot with them. Why are they not receiving His promises, the ones He gave to them? Why are they not being saved? And why are those promises and the salvation that these promises culminate in, why are those being received by uh, Gentiles, non-Jews, those that didn't receive the promises? And Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, has done, speaking from our perspective, an admirable job of answering these questions. That's my opinion of Paul. Admirable job. Anyway. And we won't go over those answers again today. We've done that a number of times as we've reviewed, as we've gone through. Because now we turn from this difficult uphill theme of Israel's present lack of salvation uh, to the much more pleasant, leading us downhill theme of Israel's future guarantee of salvation. And Paul introduces this theme by describing Israel's potential salvation. That's our first point this morning. Israel's potential salvation. Salvation. Paul wants his Gentile readers, so uh, the church in Rome, certainly mostly uh, Gentiles, he wants them to understand that even after everything he said regarding Israel's present lack of salvation, that's not the last word on the subject. Now, if you were with us over the last two weeks, then you, you know that beginning in verse 16 of Romans chapter 11, Paul uses this horticulture uh, illustration to get his point across. In verses 17 through 22, he uses this illustration to warn Gentile Christians uh, uh, to not be proud or arrogant about their salvation. And then in verses 23 and 24, what we'll look at today, he uses the same illustration to show Israel's potential for salvation. Do you remember the parts of the illustration? There were four, but we only need to review three of them. First, at the heart of the illustration is an olive tree which represents Israel. And Israel becoming true Israel in a sense. Uh, Ultimately, those who will be saved. This is the olive tree. Second, there are branches that are broken off of this olive tree which represent natural branches that are broken off which represent the unbelieving Jews. Jews who rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And third, there's this wild olive shoot that's grafted into the olive tree which represents Gentile Christians. And using these three parts, still addressing Gentile Christians, Paul writes, and even if they, so he's talking about to them, and he's talking about they, which is Israel, so even if Israel, if they do not continue in their unbelief, Paul's just warned the Gentiles, uh, these Gentile Christians, that if they do not continue in their belief, if they stop believing, or if their belief somehow proves to be false belief, then they, like the unbelieving Jews, Uh, will be cut off from the olive tree. So that was the warning to the Gentiles. And now he says, if they, these unbelieving Jews that were broken off, do not continue in their unbelief, if they turn and they truly believe, if they put their faith in Jesus Christ, then they will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. God has the power to take those who've been broken off and and reattach and reattach them, graft them back into the olive tree. And this is contrary to nature, I think. I think this is what I've read. Maybe Steve can check me on this. Once you rip off a branch you're not, and set it aside, 
Steve up there, he's like this horticulture guru. Uh, right, Steve? Sorry, I'm calling him out bad. Anyway, you, you can't graft him back in. So God's doing something that by nature cannot be done. Then Paul says, For if you Gentiles were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, so he's talking about where the Gentiles came from, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, true Israel, how much more will these, the natural branches, unbelieving Jews who were broken off, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Paul is saying to the Gentiles, since God can attach, since God can save you who were born wild, not part of God's chosen people, born without the privileges of being part of Israel, born without the law, born without the covenants, born without the promises of God. If, if God has the power to save you, then He certainly has the power to save a, a Jewish person who was born into these privileges. So Paul has made it clear that even though many in Israel were cut off, that does not mean they cannot be saved. If they believe, God will save them. And as we'll see, that, that is a, a guaranteed, that's guaranteed to take place uh, at some time in the future, in, in large numbers, I'll say. But what about right now? Do Jewish people right now have the potential for salvation today? Should we as Christians, you know, we've talked about, we have Mike and Kathy here, you know, talking about reaching out uh, to international students, should we also be reaching out to the Jewish community or to Jewish people that we know? Should we take the gospel to the Jews? Most of us as evangelical or, or missions-minded uh, people, Christians, would say yes. At least with our words, we would say that. But with our actions, I think sometimes we show that we believe something different. That somehow the Jews are a little different Jewish unbelievers are in a different category than, than Gentile unbelievers. I mean, they have the Old Testament. They have the law. They have something, don't they? We can't forget that Jews need Jesus. Paul certainly understood this, right? He, he's been saying this from the beginning. He's been pouring out his heart, crying out in anguish. Remember at the beginning, I'm willing to trade my own salvation if you'll save my people, the Jews. He prayed for them. He shared the gospel with them. And I think here in Romans 11, part of the reason he's reminding us Gentiles that the Jews have the same potential for salvation as we do is to encourage us to pray for and share the gospel with his uh, fellow Jewish kinsmen. And as further encouragement to us, I'd like to read something uh, that I read this week from John Stott. John Stott, he wrote about uh, Jewish evangelism. In his commentary on, on, these, on these verses, Stott writes, It is understandable that since the Holocaust, Jews have demanded an end to Christian missionary activity among them, and that many Christians have felt embarrassed about continuing it. It is even mooted or suggested that Jewish evangelism is an unacceptable form of anti-Semitism. So some Christians have attempted to develop a, a two-covenant theology, namely that there are two different salvation tracks, the Christian track for the believing remnant and the believing Gentiles, and the track for historical Israel, which relies on God's covenant with them. 
However, Romans 11 stands in clear opposition to this trend because of its insistence on the fact that there is only one olive tree to which Jewish and Gentile believers both belong. Jewish people will be grafted in again if they do not persist in unbelief. So faith in Jesus is essential for all. There is only one way, God said, to get to heaven. And Jesus is the only way for Jews and Gentiles. And we need to remember that as we, as we hear uh, at, at, and have relationship with Jewish people who seem to have some kind of understanding of, of the true God, the promises of God, the covenants with God. So be encouraged to pray for and, and boldly, and I would say wisely, share the gospel with Jewish people. For they, just like you and me, have potential to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. However, right now, for the most part, they are not being saved. And in verse 25, Paul seeks to explain why this is. He reveals the mystery of Israel's partial hardening. So I said we were on the downhill slope, but this is kind of a little uphill section in the downhill part, okay? So there's this Israel's partial hardening. Again, speaking to the uh, Gentile Christians, Paul writes, lest you be wise in your own sight. This this is setting up a a, a warning for us uh, Gentile Christians. You may think you have this figured out. You may think the only reason you're being saved and the Jews are not being saved is because you believe and they don't. And yes, that's true, but it's not the full picture. It's not the whole truth. Don't be wise In your own sight, Paul says, because I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. Brothers, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't make false assumptions. Uh, There's a mystery here. There's more here. There's more to this story than meets the eye. And that word mystery refers to both uh, something puzzling or, or difficult to grasp. That's kind of how we use it mostly, that's a, a murder mystery, who, who, who done it, and to something that was, uh, uh, it also refers to something that was previously hidden and now has been revealed. And in this case, I think both definitions apply. Paul is going to, Paul is going to reveal a mystery, something that was previously hidden, and what he reveals is uh, mysterious, difficult to grasp, a little puzzling. And the mystery has two parts. The first part comes at the end of verse 25. This is maybe the difficult to grasp part. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. Right now, in Paul's day, and and we talked about this earlier, and we'll get to that, and continuing uh, to our day, Israel, uh, the Jewish people, have been hardened to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul pointed this out in verse 7 of Romans 11. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Israel failed to obtain righteousness and salvation because they were seeking it through uh, law-keeping, through works. The elect, those chosen by God, they, they received it. They obtained righteousness. They were saved. But the rest, those not chosen by God, were hardened. Their hearts were made dull and callous. They were blinded to the things of God, uh, specifically to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just to be clear, okay, this is not to say that if they were not hardened, 
they would have embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ and been saved. That's not the picture. It's not like, okay, I'm going to save these people and harden these people. Otherwise, who knows who would be saved? That's not the picture. The picture is nobody would be saved. I'm going to save these people. These people would not have chosen me anyway, and I'm going to do something else with them. I'm going to harden them. Only those who are chosen by God, the elect, will be saved. They, they, they will put their faith in Jesus Christ. The hardening of the rest is the hardening of those who were not chosen for salvation. Those who did not and would not have believed. They are hardened for God's purposes. Including, as we've seen and we'll see again, uh, they're hardened for the salvation of the Gentiles. So Paul has already introduced this idea of Israel's hardening. Back in verse 7. So, so what's the mystery? What does Paul mean? What is he revealing here? The mystery is that this hardening is only partial. And now we're back on the downhill again, okay? It's not a full hardening. It's not a permanent hardening. It will not last forever. It will only last until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now what does that mean? Well, I think looking back at Romans 11.11, that helps us. Paul writes, "So So I ask, did they, Israel, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Here's the mystery. Here are the mysteries hinted at. Paul says that Israel stumbling... Their rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they they stumbled over Christ, did not cause them as a whole to fall completely. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. There's a time when Israel, for the most part, will continue in their trespass of unbelief. They'll be hardened to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because during that time, through their trespass and hardening, salvation comes to the Gentiles, to the nations, to us. And that time is now. This is the time when salvation has come, is coming to the Gentiles, when the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed throughout the world to all peoples. But there will come a time when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, when the full number of Gentiles have been saved, And at that time, it seems, the hardening will be lifted, and what follows is Israel's promised salvation. That's our third point, Israel's promised salvation. This is the second part of the mystery that Paul reveals. Let's back up and and read again from verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Part one, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. This is the revelation of God's mysterious plan, plan of salvation for Israel. Right now, in Paul's day and in our day, God is mainly saving Gentiles. He is mysteriously using the hardness of the Jews to save Gentiles. But when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, God's focus, if you will, will return to Israel. And in this way, this is God's plan, through the the partial hardening of the Jews, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and the fullness of the Gentiles will mean all Israel will be saved. Remember we talked earlier about this plan of, 
of the Gentile, the trespass of Israel uh, causing the Gentile salvation and then causing the Gentile salvation causing Israel to be jealous and then Israel being saved. This is restating it sort of in the future uh, when all Israel would be saved is what Paul says. Now, now that's an amazing statement. All Israel will be saved, right? What does it mean? Well, let's examine it. Let's understand it, what it is, what it isn't, and see if we can discover uh, a, a meaning, the meaning. The Greek uh, there are, are just three words. All Israel saved. But the saved is in the future tense, so it is all Israel, we say in English, will be saved. We need more words. So let's look at each of these three words. First, what does Paul mean by Israel? Some believe Paul is referring to what we've called, uh, so this, this sort of need to have been here, but, but I'll try to review real quickly, what we've called true or spiritual Israel. Remember back in chapter 9, verse 6, for not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. Same boat, not, not all that descended from Israel belong to, and, and so we use the word like true or spiritual Israel to describe uh, to, in contrast to physical descendants from Israel. There are those who are physically descended from Abraham, from Isaac, specifically from Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. But not all of them belong to Israel, true or spiritual Israel. And as we've seen so far, true Israel includes both Jews, the believing remnant... So there are natural branches uh, that are part of the tree, and then Gentiles who believe are then grafted in. And this is becoming the true Israel, the, those that have re- received that nourishment from God's promises. But again, if all Israel will be saved is referring only to Jews, the believing remnant, only to the believing remnant and to Gentiles who believe, then the statement is uh, pretty much meaningless, right? Or, or at least redundant. And so what we're left with, really, the only thing that makes sense is that Paul, uh, when Paul says all Israel will be saved, he's referring to ethnic or, or physical Israel. We see this in the immediate context. In verse 25, Paul is speaking to the Gentiles about the partial hardening of Israel. He's clearly not saying that the remnant or the, the remnant and the Gentiles are hardened. They are the ones who are being saved. They are the ones who are not hardened. So in verse 25, he uses the word clearly for ethnic Israel. It's being hardened. We've talked about that. So it only makes sense that in verse 26, he's still referring to ethnic, physical Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All ethnic, physical Israel, the Jewish people will be saved. Now second, what does Paul mean by will be saved? Since the Greek word saved, soza, is in the future tense. We know Paul is talking about what is to come. Salvation will come to ethnic Israel. And what does it mean? What does he mean by salvation? The, the, the quote that immediately follows, he clarifies it. He wants to make sure we're not thinking of something different. Verses 26 and 27, he quotes from Isaiah and Jeremiah, and he gives us the answer. As it is written, the deliverer, the savior, will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Who is the deliverer who comes from Zion? 
Who's the one who banishes ungodliness? Who's the one who provides us with righteousness? Who's the one who takes away sin? Jesus. So what Paul is saying is that at some point in the future, ethnic Israel will experience righteousness and salvation provided to them by their deliverer, by Jesus Christ, by putting their faith in Jesus Christ. So all ethnic Israel will be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And finally, and most mysteriously, if you will, third, what does Paul mean by all? All is the Greek word pas, and it can mean all, every, the whole, or all manner of. So all ethnic Israel will be saved through faith in Jesus Christ, but but. But it does not have to refer to every single one without exception. In fact, we know all is not speaking about all Jews throughout history. First, because the word saved is in the future tense. And second, we know that salvation comes to the Jews in the same way it comes to Gentiles. Through faith in the, in the promises of God, through trusting in God, through faith in Jesus Christ. And as we've seen in the book of Romans, in, in, in from the beginning up until now, as we've seen in the rest of the New Testament, the book of Acts and the Gospels, the other epistles, and as we've seen throughout history and to our current day, the Jews, for the most part, have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ and pursued salvation through law-keeping. Throughout history, many Jews have died without trusting in Christ. And as Peter, speaking about Jesus to Jewish religious leaders, makes very clear, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one way, we've said this already, for anyone, Jew or Gentile, to be saved, and it's by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So in writing, all Israel will be saved, Paul's not revealing some unknown universal salvation plan for all Jews throughout history, whether they've trusted in Christ or not. Instead, he's, he's looking to a time in the future when all ethnic Israel at that time will be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, it should also be noted that even in the future, all Israel probably doesn't mean every single Jew without exception. Uh, theologian, scholar F.F. F. Bruce explains, all Israel is a recurring expression in Jewish literature where it need not mean every Jew without a single exception, but Israel as a whole. And this is further seen by how Paul has been using this word Israel all along. He often uses it to refer to uh, not every single Jewish person, but to the majority of Israel over against the minority of believing Jews, the remnant. In fact, in verse 25, Paul wrote, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. But he, he doesn't mean every member of ethnic Israel has been hardened because he is part of ethnic Israel himself, and he hasn't been hardened, and the remnant chosen by God has not been hardened. So my point is, it took a while to explain it. I could have just said this, but I... <laughs> that, that word all does not necessarily mean that, that at some point in the future, every single living ethnic Jew will, will put their faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. However, 
The fact that Paul reveals uh, this mystery and specifically says all, every, all manner, uh, all kinds of Israel will be saved, it certainly means that at some time in the future, uh, a great mass of the Jewish people, most Jews, the majority, will put their faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. The nation Israel will become a Christian nation, if you will. So the mystery of Israel's future salvation has been revealed. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. But at some time in the future, the majority, many, all of ethnic Israel will be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But that's to come. What about right now? What are we Gentiles? I mean, this is, is everybody following along? It's a little, you know, not convoluted, but a little bit complicated. Why are, why, why are we going through this? Why is Paul telling us this? What's the point? What are we Gentiles to learn from the revelation of this mystery that all of Israel will be saved? Well, I think we find the answer in what follows, especially uh, in verses 28 and 29, especially verse 29. And I think along with that, uh, along with what we're going to look at next week in verse 32, you can look ahead to that verse, What we find here is really the the point of Romans 9 through 11. This is why we've done all this uphill work. For us to see, this is the point. The point is for us as Gentiles to see and to savor and to trust in God's perfect faithfulness. This is meant... All of these words and this, this uh, theology and this doctrine is meant to have a transforming work in your heart. It's meant to, to cause you to trust in God more. Because that's, that's, the, that's the thing we need. You know, once we've come to salvation, the, the thing we need most of all is more and more and more trust in God. God's perfect faithfulness. Paul has just written that all Israel will be saved by the Deliverer. They'll be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. They'll be saved by believing in the gospel uh, that is to come. And what about Israel right now? Paul writes, as regards the gospel, he's reminding us, okay, he's reminding us that as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Israel's current unbelief The fact that they do not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ means they are enemies of God. They have rejected their Messiah and they are currently hardened to Christ. But this is not out of God's control. God did not, this is not, was not unforeseen by God. This is for your sake, Paul says. Again, pointing out that Israel's unbelief is for the benefit of the Gentiles. This is the period in history when the, which Jews are hardened and Gentiles are being saved. But as Paul has said, this period will not last forever. At some point, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, all Israel will be saved. Why? Verse 28 continues. But as regards election, so as regards the gospel, they're currently enemies. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. This is a really beautiful uh, little verse here. Yes, regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Jews are currently enemies. They're not being saved. 
But that will stop. That will end. It will not stop God from being faithful to His promises. Their reaction to Jesus Christ will not stop God from being faithful to His promises. Regarding election, uh, regarding God's choosing those who will be saved, Israel is His beloved. God has made a promise to the Jews. And He will fulfill uh, uh, that promise, those promises, for the sake of their forefathers. For the sake of Abraham, whom he loved. For the sake of Isaac, whom he loved. For the sake of Jacob, whom he loved. Remember, Jacob I loved. Esau I hated. He's promised to bless them. He's promised to be their God. He promised to love them. They are His beloved. He's loved them with an everlasting love. Richard Halverson, a former chaplain of the United States Senate, once wrote, There is nothing you can do to make God love you more, nor is there anything you can do to make God love you less. His love is unconditional, impartial, everlasting, infinite, and perfect. This description aptly expresses God's love for Israel. This love is described in many many places in the Old Testament. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 7, maybe the best description. God says to Israel, It was not because you were more in number than any other people uh, that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers. God's love for Israel is not because they were a great people. Great, great in number and, and just great. You're so great, I'm going to choose you. Not because they were better than any of the other peoples, but simply because God chose to love them, because the Lord set His love on and chose them. And because He made promises to your fathers, God is and always will be faithful to His promises. Therefore, because of God's love, And promises to Israel, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, God elects, He chooses to save. Because of God's perfect faithfulness, all Israel will be saved. And then in verse 29, Paul makes this this sort of overarching statement about the character of God. This solidifies the basis of Israel's salvation. And, and, And this is one of, if not the major point... The major reason Paul is, 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 is writing these three chapters to these Gentiles, he says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Again, a, a powerful statement. A statement that certainly applies to Israel. God's gift, His, his blessings, and His promises to Israel, uh, His choosing, His electing, His calling out of Israel to be His people, to receive salvation. These things are irrevocable. Not, not as, just to stop and be clear, not for each individual, but for the, the people as a whole. Have you ever had something revoked? I won't ask, have you had your driver's license revoked? Because of, you know. Recently, my, uh, some of you know I sell things on eBay. Recently, I had my eBay selling privileges revoked uh, for 10 days. I was selling this thing, and, and the company that supposedly, well, supposedly, that's my word, that owns the rights to that thing uh, said I was selling a counterfeit. I, I was not. I am certain of that, but that's not the point. 
The point is, my selling privileges were temporarily revoked, which meant for 10 days, I could not sell anything on eBay. Tragedy. No, it wasn't that big a deal. Uh, the, The privilege to sell was taken away. That's what it means to be revoked. So, so if, if something what is irrevocable, it means it cannot be taken away. It will remain. In fact, the word revoked in the Greek literally means without repentance, without regret, without change. God's gifts and calling cannot be done away with. They cannot be taken away. They cannot be changed. When God gives a gift, a promise, a blessing, when God calls, chooses someone to be His own, He will never revoke that. He will never take away, take it away. He will never take it back. He is perfectly faithful. And that is great news for the Jews. Because all Israel will be saved. And that, that is what Paul's been trying to get across to us his Gentile readers. Remember the problem he's addressing in these three chapters is Israel's present lack of salvation. So what about the gifts? What about the covenants, the promised blessing, all the privileges? Remember back in uh, Romans 9, 4, and 5, he lists all those privileges that belong to the Jews, including the fact that Jesus Christ came to them as a Jew. What about these gifts and this calling of God given to Israel in the Old Testament Scriptures? Are they no longer valid? Or as Paul said in verse 6 of chapter 9, but, is it, but it is not as though the Word of God has failed. Does Israel's present lack of salvation mean the Word of God has failed? Because if it does, then the promises God made to, to the Gentiles in Romans chapters 1 through 8, particularly chapter 8, are very suspect. Is there or is there not a condemnation for those who believe in Jesus Christ? Will all things really work together for good for those who love God? For those who are called according to His purpose? Could there be something uh, that separates us from the love of God? If God's Word, those are all promises found in Romans chapter 8, if you're not aware of that. If God's Word, if His promises, His gifts, His calling failed for Israel... They could fail for you and me as well. If God's gifts and calling can be revoked for Israel, then they can be revoked for you and me as well. So Paul spends three chapters to make this clear. And I hope it's become clear to us as we've walked through this, that God has not failed. That the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. The truth about God applies to Israel and to us. It applies to our gifts and, and our calling, to the, to the promised blessing and salvation that God has made to you and me. And so really, the point of all of this, the point of, of the many difficult passages, the point of, of climbing this mountain of Romans 9-11, through 11, the point is not for our heads to explode as we try to grasp uh, how God's sovereignty and human responsibility work together, or to try and understand how God can choose some and, and harden the rest. The point is for us to see this. Even though Israel failed to achieve righteousness through law keeping, even though Israel for generation after generation refused to believe, even though Israel has, has been hardened to the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though Israel rejected their Messiah, God did not reject them. 
He continues to save a remnant, and one day all of Israel will be saved. God is perfectly faithful to Israel, and He is perfectly faithful to you. If you're a child of God, His beloved, if if you've truly placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that's how you know if you're a child of God. Have you truly put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord? Do you follow Him as Is He the one you trust in above yourself? And as your Savior, do you know that He died for your sins? That you're a sinner and that He died. He died for your sins. He died that you might receive forgiveness. That you might be spared the wrath of God. He took it upon Himself for you. Do you trust in Him? And do you give yourself to Him? Then God's gifts to you... His gifts of love and forgiveness and justification and righteousness. His gift of the Holy Spirit who brings transformation transformation to our lives. We are new creatures in Christ. And His calling that by His grace He's chosen to have mercy. To have mercy on you and to call you to Himself. He's chosen you to be His own. He's chosen to save you and to give you eternal life in His presence. Hear this, these gifts and this calling are irrevocable. They cannot be taken away because God is perfectly faithful. And this, my uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, should cause us to be the most secure and joyful and free people on planet earth. For with regards to this life and and to the life to come, we we have nothing to fear. Our only fear should be, are we in awe and reverence of God for this amazing fact? Because our gifts and our calling, our blessings and salvation and eternal life are not subject to the winds of change. They are not even subject to our own uh, failures, our own foibles, our own sin, our own faithlessness. They are subject only to the perfectly faithful God. And the fact that he's perfectly faithful means that they're irrevocable. And this is usually the spot where I then go off and make sure we understand that this doesn't mean once you become a Christian, you can then go do whatever you want because we've talked about that before and that is uh, freaking ridiculous. And the Bible says that. It says if you've actually been encountered Jesus Christ, then that's not an option for you. Again, not that you will never sin, but you're not going to go live that sinful... You're going you're to have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. I wasn't planning to do this, but uh, so we're good. Okay. You get the point, right? That's not the point here. The point is that we should rejoice and be glad in Him. Secure not in ourselves or our abilities but secure in our gifts and the calling of God in our life, secure in the, uh, the relationship that He's given and He's called us into, secure in our relationship. We have a, a relationship with the living God. That is irrevocable. So let us go from this place today, uh, relishing our security, savoring our relationship with Jesus Christ, and allowing that security and that freedom to remove all fear of the world, of what the world thinks of us, what the world might do to us, so that we can step out in faith proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
the love and faithfulness of God through Jesus Christ to both Jews and Gentiles. That's our calling. You know, we've called to, to, to be uh, in relationship with God, to receive salvation from God, to receive His grace and mercy, and then we're called or sent out to proclaim that message to the world around us. So let's do that in security and in freedom. Let's, let's risk a little, a little worldly uh, scorn because we're secure in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Sometimes it's hard for us. We're, we're, not, uh, we're not always clear, but you're clear. Lord, and I pray uh, that today the things that we've seen in your word, I pray uh, that those things will penetrate our heart. And I pray they'll bring transformation. That the fact that your gifts and calling are irrevocable, that we are secure in you, that, that we can step out and take risks and not worry, that our eternal destiny and our relationship with you will never change because of your faithfulness, Lord. Pray that would, that would cause us to trust you more and, and to be transformed more into the image of Jesus Christ. For his glory, amen.